Business Women Rock, Episode 7. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock Podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible businesswomen. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Business Women Rock podcast. I am so stoked to chat with you today because we have some huge milestones to share here at the Business Women Rock podcast. I want to let you know that after just two weeks of launching, we have already had 1,500 downloads of these episodes, which gets me so excited. And our Facebook page has over 8,400 likes. And I got to tell you, it's because you rock. This community that has come to support this podcast is just so big and it's huge and you guys are awesome. And I just really, really want to thank you. I've been so overwhelmed by all of you guys commenting and liking and sharing and telling your friends to come and listen and rating. So um, it's really made a huge difference and it helps us get in front of a larger, larger audience every single time you do that. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate it. This community totally rocks. My guest today is Shama Kabani, who is the founder of the Marketing Zen Group. She has written The Zen of Social Media Marketing, which is still among one of the top three selling web marketing books on Amazon.com. She has been named one of the top 30 under 30 entrepreneurs in America and has been referred to by Entrepreneur Magazine as the Zen Master of Marketing. She has a very holistic approach to social media marketing and business. And it's one that has made her a thought leader in this industry, and it has shown in her business's growth. Her company has experienced 400% growth annually since it began in 2009. She is so full of energy, and the conversation I have with her today really focuses on not only her growth and her vantage point as an entrepreneur herself, but her beliefs in social media marketing and what that might mean for your business. So turn up the volume. The interview starts now. Shama, thank you so much for being on the show here with us today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm really excited to tell the story about the Marketing Zen Group and about your journey, specifically because social media is so big right now, and you are somebody who has been in this space for quite some time and have some really unique uh, vantage points about it all. So I really want to get into the story of how you've built your company. You are originally from India and you moved here when you were a little kid. Um, how did you get to the U.S.? So as any kid really does, which is <laughs> when your parents decide to say, you know, let's back up and move, uh, which is essentially what happened to me when I was nine years old. My parents, for a um, multitude of reasons, decided to move to the U.S. And, of course, one of them being that they, like many immigrants or most immigrants, I think, wanted to pursue the American dream and, uh, like, the, the land of milk and honey and all that good stuff. So uh, I found myself at nine years old in a very different culture. And, you know, English has actually always been my first language. I think people sometimes think that. I spoke in a different language, but my parents always spoke in English with us, so um, that wasn't so much of, a, of a, a shock, but, you know, definitely adjusting to a culture, being an immigrant, being a latchkey kid, um, all these things have, uh, I, I think they've really kind of contributed to my entrepreneurial mindset. And tell me a little bit about what that was like growing up. Like, what were some of those values that you learned as a kid that have really served you well now? 
I was really able to be very grateful for everything that I had as a kid because I've seen sort of the before and after, if that makes sense. Uh, when I went to school in India, you know, known for very high discipline and just, you know, it's, it's very much kind of routine. You follow the rules to a T. The environment of school is more fear-based. And, of course, when I came to the U.S., you know, there were team projects and creativity, and the teachers just seemed so nice. Uh, <laughs> we had, you know, like movies and class and, and food and I just pizza parties. Like, this was such a fantastic new world for me. And so I, I think I, I never took anything for granted. I always felt like I had a real sense of appreciation because I'd done some of my elementary there and some of it here. I could see I could see it, I think, from a different perspective than perhaps someone who'd grown up here in the system might see it. The other thing is also, you know, because I was a latchkey kid, and by that I mean both my parents worked full-time. I was responsible for my younger sister. Like, literally, I had the key around my neck. So I would come home and make sure that we had some dinner or, you know, took care of her. And so this was pretty young. I'm talking about, like, 9 or 10 years old. And it, it taught me a lot about being responsible and being proactive and just being able to sort of create your own path. And I certainly saw my parents doing that as immigrants and entrepreneurs where they worked really hard. They didn't take anything for granted. There was never a sense of entitlement, I think, in my family. And that's, that's definitely something that, um, that I follow, too. Now, when did your interest in social media begin? When I was in graduate school, so 08, 09 is really kind of the, the where social media starts to just get its legs, right? So Facebook, of course, had uh, Facebook opened the year that I was actually in school. So I got, you know, an early account through the, through having just a college, you know, university address. But I was just fascinated because I could see these inklings of how people were communicating and how it was changing. And I was fascinated by it. I just knew that it was going to be beyond, you know, what it was at that time, which was such a small platform. Like Twitter had 2,000 users when I first looked into it. Um, people didn't understand what the blue bird was. And now, of course, it's, it's part of our vernacular. But very, very different days. I was always passionate, I think, about technology and communication. In fact, I went to high school. I did a magnet program uh, in a public school, but it was for media arts and technology. So all my electives were technology-based. So I loved it. It just seemed like the next evolution for me. Now, you actually took that to a different level. In college, you actually wrote a thesis on Twitter when it only actually had 2,000 users. So what? Yeah. obviously you were interested in it, but what were you seeing? What kind of things were you talking about in your thesis? Well, it's really funny because the whole uh, premise of the thesis was why do people use Twitter? Why do people use social media? I think, I mean, I've always been fascinated by things from an academic perspective. So it wasn't just like, kind of blind, you know, this is so cool. It was really more from an understanding of why do people do that? Why is this growing so fast? What compels them? And really one of the things that I got out of the thesis is, you know, the number one reason people use social networking sites is to showcase their own identity. I know people don't think about that so much in that way, but that's really why people use social networking sites is to showcase who they are. And initially, of course, I was like, oh, man, we're such narcissists. Like, <laughs> um, but the more you think about it, you realize that it's, it's akin to having a digital mirror. And it's akin to how 
we as human beings have always discovered who we are, right? So you go back to kindergarten and you sit next to someone and you make a friend and they say, you know, I love PBJ sandwiches. And you say, oh, my God, me too. And, uh, you know, and you say, well, do you like blue crayons? And they're like, by golly, I do. I love blue crayons. <laughs> right? It's, it's kind of like that's how we've always been. That's, that's how we become human. It's by showcasing who we are, getting that feedback, right? And then, uh, and then pivoting ourselves to, to fit that society. So all of like to think that we're not, you know, that we're unique individuals, but really we are such a product of our society and our culture and the things that we see. And so social media was just a mirror for all of these things that we were always doing. But anytime I think humans have an outlet for who they are, they've, they're going to take it and they're going to run with it. And the internet and social networks definitely did that for us. So that was kind of my thesis around why people use it. And of course, I felt that it had massive implications for business and politics and, and how we communicate. I mean, this wasn't just, you know, a social network. It really was the overall ecosystem, the beginnings of something, something huge. So now you are obviously super immersed in everything social media related as far as being interested in it and, and exploring about it. How did that, how did that get you to actually creating the marketing Zen group company? You know, when I got out, I just thought that I would get a job. I never, I honestly didn't think about being an entrepreneur right off the bat, even though, and I think this is true for a lot of entrepreneurs, in retrospect, I was a very entrepreneurial child. My sister actually always says that I remember like Dora the Explorer um, <laughs> with a little backpack and a monkey, except I've upgraded to a laptop and a dog, but really <laughs> it's, the, it's the same principle. And you know, Dora's like always on her little adventures and I was very much like that as a child, but when you know, I feel like our schooling system really indoctrinates the idea of getting a job. High school, check. College, check. Job, check. And so I just, you know, I went to companies and I said, look, I'm passionate about this. I think this is going to be huge. And they pretty much just said, you know, in nicer words, but bluntly put, you're naive. We have no idea why you've invested in this. Um, and we just don't see this being the change that you think it's going to be. I think one of the things about business is you have to find the right audience. So while I was talking to these big consulting companies during one of the worst recessions, you know, since really the Great Depression, they do what big companies do well, which is pull back in scary times. Right? That's kind of the... MO of, of companies who have a lot to lose. They don't want to take the risks. They want to stay away from anything that's new. Innovation really takes a back seat. But what happens is small businesses were so eager. They wanted to figure out anything new that would help them grow their business at that time. So even though this one door was closed, this other door was swinging wide open. And, of course, now we work with, I'd say, mostly those, those bigger companies, right? Our, our average clients' revenue size is like $5 million and up. Our beginnings were with clients, were with much smaller businesses who were just really eager to learn how to use these tools. So that's, I mean, that's really where we started. We never looked back. And we grew from being social media consulting to full-service web marketing. Again, going with the waves and understanding. So, like, social media was sort of the first wave. And then 
as things progressed, you figure out, well, you know, as a standalone, it's really not worth much. It has to fit into these other things. So if the clients are actually going to derive revenue, then all these other pieces have to be there too. Um, the content, design, and email. We kept adding key numbers and we kept growing and, you know, we've just, and a lot of it is we've been very lucky. The community is very supportive. I didn't think that people would take a 23-year-old starting a business seriously, but I was so very wrong. Well, and that's very interesting talking about your age and um, and going to market with this new idea at the time as far as how seriously people were really taking it and saying, yes, I know how to do this, but you were a brand, you were a newbie, you know, you were, you were also figuring it out at the same time. You could see the vision, but you were doing that. How did you secure the, even those small businesses, how did you secure those clients when you were just brand new coming into the market yourself? I feel like everybody has a gift. Everyone has a, has a talent. And I feel like one of my strengths always was taking something complicated and simplifying it for people. So as I was learning so much about this industry, and, you know, that's the thing about the industry, there's no 100%. Like every day I'm always at 98% because <laughs> the moment you get close to that 100, something changes and there's something out there that you just don't know yet. But because I had such a, I think my personality was a good fit too. I'm, I'm curious. I always want to keep learning. So as I was learning these things and reading these books and figuring out these things, I started writing about it. And I used to blog every day, sometimes twice a day. I started speaking at groups and just teaching people about how to use Facebook and, you know, what Twitter actually was good for and why LinkedIn was important and, and why, you know, blogging was what it was. And, and before you know it, people really felt like, you know, this is great. You're, we feel like you have a good sense of what you're doing. We want to work with you. To this day, we have no salesperson. Everything we do is inbound. Everything we do is referral-based. Wow. That's pretty incredible. So what happened in those first in that first year or two of business? What was business like? What happened? Did you have your systems down yet? How were you finding your clients, you know, outside of these speaking arrangements and things like that? What was going on with the actual business itself? As our clients came to us, and still, like I said, everyone came to us to our own efforts. We don't believe that the cobbler's child should have new shoes. Like, I'm not a fan of that. I really believe that you should practice what you preach. So, you know, we, we invested a lot in the website, webinars, white papers, content. There wasn't a single thing that we were, we were telling clients to do but not doing ourselves. So it was just a really big push of, of continuously sharing good content, putting that out there, and business grew. I mean, people found us, clients said this is what we were looking for, then they would refer other people. I mean, it's been a really nice, it's really, really nice journey. I think a lot of it's also right time, right place. And what we were doing, there wasn't a lot of people, there weren't a lot of people who were really doing it at the level that we were able to, to do it at. Um, in some ways, we were really able to establish a solid footprint, which, of course, helped propel us forward. The other was, as I was getting all these questions, what we found was, okay, we couldn't work with everybody, but I had no resource to send people to. So I took all these questions that I was getting, and I decided to write a book. It's called uh, The Zen of Social Media Marketing. I set it up as an ebook. It was out there, you know, quickly sold hundreds of copies with a, with a single tweet or 
of course, the way social works is someone on Twitter approached me and said, and this is someone I traded mundane tweets with, you know, things you don't think about. And they said, oh, you know, Shilma, I've, uh, by the way, I know we've talked about the weather in New York and Dallas and our dogs, but I'm also a book agent. And have you ever considered publishing this? And, of course, my response is very millennial of me, and I realized this. I said, I thought I just did, because <laughs> I was like, I hit the publish button. It's not there. Like, it is, is, I mean, to me, it's published. And she said, no, I mean, like, in bookstores and stuff. And I was like, oh, I guess that would be cool. I, you know, but that was not my intent. I never wrote the book thinking it would get in bookstores. I really wrote it to be helpful for people. In fact, the first chapter I ever wrote in the book was called Burning Q&A, questions that people have <laughs> that I keep getting and my answers to those questions. So Janet Goldstein, that's, that's my agent's name. And uh, she, she said, look, I work with very few authors. If you want to do this, let's do this. Like, sure, I'm 23. What do I know? It all sounds good. But, you know, we, we ended up getting a publisher rather quickly, put together a book proposal. Fast forward about four years, the book is in its third edition, and it's used as a de facto college textbook in actually many places around the world to teach social media. Wow, that's incredible. Congratulations. Now, I want to know how you have continued to compete in a marketplace that since 2008, 2009, has become incredibly saturated with social media experts, some good and some really not so good. So how have you, how have you stayed relevant and how have you competed in that marketplace? One of my favorite books has always been The Blue Ocean Strategy. And that's the idea that you create sort of your own ocean to compete in. You know, if everyone's doing one thing, you really find the underserved. You find that differentiator. So we don't compete with social media consulting firms anymore. You know, that's not our competition. We are a full-service digital agency. We work with clients who say things like, we know what we should be doing, or we're doing a little bit, but we're not integrating it. We're leaving a lot of money on the table, or they're not getting all the juice out of the orange. These are our clients. That's the type of work we do. So we've really, as we've evolved, we've created our own place, you know, our own niche within the industry. So we're, when someone says, oh, I need someone to keep up my Facebook page and post updates, that's, I mean, that's not even something we do. If someone came and said, look, we're looking to get more leads and drive visitors and, you know, we want to understand how social can be a bigger part of the picture and how Facebook fits in, then, of course, we'd be able to do something with them. So I really think by evolving ourselves at a, at a different level and to meet the, the needs of the marketplace differently, we really kind of separated ourselves. Over the past years, since your company has grown, you now have about 30 different team members. Can you talk about your leadership style, your management style? How have you grown that team? What have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had? And what have been some of the best parts about it? I feel like there's always challenges in life. So I never take anything as, oh, my God, we're, these, we're growing, so we're having these issues. It's always, look, at every different level, you have different sets of challenges. For me, it was really learning a lot in terms of understanding. Like when, and this kind of goes back to when we were first hiring people. I had such a hard time because, you know, I could never imagine that people would, like, lie on a resume, for example. So we <laughs> never did, like, reference checks. We kind of figured if someone says it, then it must be true because I think this is an old fallacy, right? You kind of see the world as your own projection. So because I would never have lied on a resume or wouldn't 
I never imagined that someone else could. Uh, and I think things like that caught me off guard. One of the things that we've gotten really good at, we have such a robust team now, is really vetting people more thoroughly. We do a lot of contract to full-time. We do a lot of intern to hires. Really getting someone to actually do the work and seeing how they mesh with our culture. The other thing is, being, working virtually, the way our company's set up, we don't have a headquarters. Some people thrive in that. And other people just, it's not for them. Like, uh, the, a company works really well with people who don't need anyone to oversee them, who aren't, you know, looking for hand-holding or, make, like, no one, no one looks to see if you showed up at 9 a.m. You know, what you're judged by is your work and what value you bring to the clients. And at the end of the day, what results are you really creating? So things like that, I think these were challenging initially. I feel like we've gotten so much better at that. Well, it's never easy, I think, in any you're an entrepreneur ever having to, to fire someone if it doesn't work out. So I found the best way to avoid that is to be really smart when hiring someone. <laughs> because at the end of the day, you have to put your clients first. And if someone's not serving that higher need, <laughs> then, you know, then you're really not doing anybody a favor. Specifically in the social media space, it tends to be a really challenging investment for companies to make because the ROI that you would imagine and you can get from traditional marketing doesn't have the same equation for social media marketing. Can you talk a little bit about how you manage your clients' expectations when you're sitting down and they're saying they want more customer engagement, they want sales, and you're presenting them with this is how they could do it? Can you talk a little bit about how that's unique to the space that, um, of the services you provide? You know, I think you always have to manage expectations, and I think empathy is the answer. It may not seem like the most obvious answer, but I never talk to anybody with the idea that I'm going to convince them to do business with us. I try to be really honest, (laughs) really straightforward, and just have a conversation and really see if it's a fit, you know, because there's nothing that you can do if someone has – if someone has – expectations that are not going to be a fit and you take them on as a client. So what I mean by that, that that's always doomed. So for example, I was just speaking to someone earlier today and they said, you know, what if we started a little slower? What if we, you know, what if we did a little bit? And I said, and here's the honest answer in online marketing in general. Okay. It takes twice the effort to get half the results that you could two years ago. This is just the honest truth. This is due to competition, due to Google algorithms. Uh, people like to say, oh, yes, it's, you know, free for all, and it's, um, it, it, it gives everybody, you know, it's, the, it's a flat landscape, and it gives everybody the, the same competitive edge. And while that might be true to some degree, at, at the end of the day, the more competitive anything gets, the more you have to stand out. So it used to be like, okay, look, if you can just blog once a week, do it. You know, it's better than nothing. But honestly, if you actually wanted to impact search and you have certain goals, then don't do it unless you can do it really well. Throwing up a Twitter account and a few tweets is not going to get you anything. So I think you really have to sort of understand and and be very honest and frank with people, you know, and and then if they decide that that works for them, then of course that's their decision to make. So we have kind of an internal thing. You see, we never tried to um, convert people. We just baptize those who are ready. I love that. That's really kind of our, that's our, you know, people are ready. We're happy to educate them, but we don't try to convince anybody. I have a gal I talked to who's 
family owns a, a high-end jewelry line carried by all the top department stores. And she said, look, I know we need to be marketing online. We're not. We're losing out to competitors. And, you know, I need you to convince my dad that it's a good idea. You know, as much as I would love to, and I will send you a copy of the book, and I'm you know, happy to support, I will not convince anybody. Like, I'm not in the business of trying to change people's minds and hearts. I'm really about connecting them to what they're already looking for, whether that's us or something else. What has been one of the biggest challenges that you've had in growing this company? This huge rise in information online with like social media or whatever. Like when you deal with so much misinformation, it's very it's it's always a challenge to compete against that, right? Because clients are bombarded with like get your top 10 keywords ranked on Google guaranteed. An industry with a barrier to entry is low, you have a lot of misinformation. And I think that's what's happened in the online marketing world. So, so our biggest challenge is correcting wrong assumptions, clarifying myths. You know, why can't SEO be a one-time thing? You know, why doesn't social work as a standalone? Why should I not be driving traffic to my site if the website doesn't convert at all? Like, just things like that. I don't think people, and rightly so, they wouldn't know. You know, it's like you don't know what you don't know. But I'm not sure that the industry overall does us any favors. Now, there's people who are very good. So that's not, you know, it's not saying that it's, totally uh, obvious. There's great resources out there, great people that I admire, great work. But I also think because the bar to entry is so low, there's a lot of misinformation too, and maybe well-intentioned, but misinformation nonetheless. What has been one of your biggest successes so far? You know, we honestly, we've had quite a few. I'm saying that would would really kind of a, a nod to the team because the team is fantastic. But I will share with you one project that we're really proud of because of all the implications that it has. We did the um, social marketing and digital PR for the last two years for the Turkey Trot, the Dallas YMC Capital One Turkey Trot, which if you live in major areas of the U.S., you've heard, you know, you've heard of a turkey trot, you've participated in one. Well, Dallas has the biggest trot of its kind in the nation. And it's, of course, been going around 40 years running, old, old tradition. But for the last two years, we have been responsible for all their social media and digital PR. And can you guess which were their top years <laughs> in their entire history? That was the last two years that we've done it. In fact, the first year that we took over, we was really neat because they won a Guinness World Record for the highest number of people dressed up as turkeys in one location. So the Y is a great organization. And so just from many perspectives, that was a huge win. How do you think that you have grown as a leader and as a CEO since you started your company? You know, I, I feel like I, I'm growing as a person so much. Every day, I, I feel like one of the things that I've gotten better at as a leader is just being more objective. And I think, to be you know honest, I think a lot of credit should go to my husband for this because he's a very objective sort of guy, and he's he's a lawyer by profession, so he's he's very analytical. And uh, I, I think I definitely have been more intuitive and you know, thinking kind of from, from my gut what feels right, wrong. But really with him and as I've grown the company, we really started making decisions by looking at all the data, by being more objective, by by just being able to kind of separate out my personal thoughts with, you know, the facts. And I, I think that's definitely made me a better person. 
Now, I know along all these years of running your company, it, it's not always pretty. You know, it's not always a, a beautiful, wonderful, amazing day with tons of successes. There are plenty of lows, plenty of downs throughout any entrepreneur's journey. Can you tell us a story of one of your just really low moments and what happened? How did you get yourself out of that? I will tell you that in the span of a day, I go from thinking, oh, my God, we're so successful, to, oh, we should really be doing so <laughs> Something that really disappointed me. Um, oh, I will tell you one thing. And there's a client that we were working with that we were so excited about. We did amazing work. We worked with them for a year. And they're talking about just doing so much more. And then they said, good news, bad news. You know, good news is you guys have been fantastic. We've loved it. Bad news is it's been so great that uh, Walmart's pretty much acquiring us. Oh. So, <laughs> so I, I think things like that, which, you know, of course, you feel like you're doing a great job and you want to really see a company through and you know, it was just a challenge because they're like, guys, just because you're working with a bigger company doesn't mean that you know, you, you really have still so much. Like, don't leave the, don't let the brand go yet. There's so much more to be accomplished. So, I, I think things like that. But you know, I'm not sure that it's not in my personality to feel. It's not in my personality to feel really down or really hurt by something. I feel like I take pride in the fact that. I'm never really too elated by the perceived good stuff, and I'm never really depressed by any perceived bad stuff. You know, I think in business you have to have that constant. So if something happens, I feel like, you know, good or bad, only time will tell. And um, I think this goes back to my roots, too. I'm just, I'm a fairly resilient person. I think you have to be as an entrepreneur. Did you ever have any moment in your business when you thought you were going to shut down? Like you didn't know where the money was coming from and you had payroll to pay or, you know, whatever it was, you just had no idea how you were going to keep your doors open? Uh, never. Look, there's always a factor of right place, right time. There is such a thing as luck. I'm not one of these people that denies it. I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, there's no thing as luck. It's all me. No, there is absolutely a factor, you know? Um, there's great companies that haven't done well because it just wasn't the right time. And there have honestly been ideas that you're like, this could actually work that really took off because it's the right time, right place. So what keeps you fired up? You obviously have a ton of energy, very, very happy. What keeps you fired up? Externally, my family, my family is very, very important to me. That's where I derive a lot of my energy from. So that's the short answer. The kind of longer answer or maybe the more internal answer is that I strongly believe that what we experience is not a result of the things that happen, but really how we think about things that happen. And I mean, I think anything that happens, you can look at and say, that's the greatest thing or that's the worst thing. And one of the things that as a leader, as I'm evolving, I, I try to get better at not labeling things so much, you know, really going with the flow. So it's really funny. I and try to live the Zen philosophy as, as much as I can. What do you see as the next wave or the next trend of social media? And what plans do you have for your company to fulfill that next trend? I really think that the next trend isn't so much a new tool or a new service, which, you know, that's just the nature of web. There's always going to be something new and fancy. And that's just the nature of, of the Internet. I think the huge differentiator in what's going to be 
next is the fact that things are going to get so much more integrated. You know, right now we still think online, offline. There's really not that much difference between online and offline. And the Super Bowl was a great example of that. Well, people were tweeting <laughs> as they were as they were watching. Almost every Super Bowl commercial used a hashtag. I just think that it's going to become redundant to say it's online marketing or offline. I think digital is is really here to stay, and it's such a part of our lives. I mean, I, I don't think we'll make that distinction anymore. So companies that are going to do really well are integrating things. They're they're making sure that every tactic plays off another tactic. That there's nothing that happens in a silo. And when I feel like when that happens, they see good ROI anyways. And that's really how we're positioning our companies to be able to serve those clients in that way. I think a good way to think about it is if you're listening to a piece of music and how you could start listening to it in the car. You know, you walk out and it automatically goes to your headphones and then you walk out, you know, when you go some more and it's automatically playing in, in your house. Like, I just don't think that we're going to skip a beat. No pun not intended, but I really think things are going to get that seamless. So I really want to conclude this interview with this question. What is one piece of advice that you would give to our listeners who are listening right now who are out there hustling in their companies? They want to bring their companies from where they are now to where they they want it to go, where their goals are. What advice would you give to our listeners? You know, I'm trying to think of advice that's generic across the board, right? Because there's so many different people listening. And I'll give you something that... I heard Will Ferrell say in an interview, and I thought it was just so, it was so poignant. I think it's true for, for, I think it should be true for entrepreneurs. And it was this idea that people asked him, like, how have you been successful in your career? And he said, totally focused and slightly uncaring. And, <laughs> and I know that it doesn't sound that great when you just say it uh, without context, but really it's this idea that you can be totally focused on the journey and enjoy that journey but the end result, honestly, is not as important as what you put into it and what you learn from that journey. Uh, I feel like so many times people get upset if the result isn't exactly what they wanted. You know, it's like, oh, my God. But that's okay. The, the real fun in being an entrepreneur is the, being able to pivot, being able to try different ideas, being able to to really just have fun in the process of it. And if you're not doing that, then I'm not sure that whether it's a job or business or anything is really worth it because at the end of the day, life is so short. So that's kind of my philosophical Zen take. Shama, it has been a true pleasure to be able to chat with you today and find out more about your journey. I really appreciate you being here and being willing to be open and vulnerable and sharing your journey with all of our listeners. Well, thank you so much. Uh, you know, so much of a, a good interview, just good questions. So I've enjoyed this, and you know, I really hope that whoever listens to this does get something, uh, even a morsel or two, to walk away with. So thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. One of my favorite moments in that interview was when Shama was talking about the integration between this online and offline world. And I'm sure that you have experienced that as well. But it's so funny how things that I talk about online all of a sudden get brought up in conversation when I'm one-on-one with somebody in person. And it's just such an indicator that she is right on target with a lot of that stuff and just how everything is getting integrated. There really is no separation between that stuff. So I found that incredibly interesting. I really enjoyed the conversation with Shama. She was such a delight. 
And it was the hardest thing for me not to be laughing with her every single time. (laughs) But she was just so much fun. So I hope you enjoyed her as much as I did. I hope you really got something out of it. If you haven't yet, make sure you go to bizwomenrock.com and check out our resources page. I have tons of resources there for you to use along your business journey, such as Constant Contact, which is a great email marketing system and something that is very easy to use, very easy to implement. So I highly recommend you go to bizwomenrock.com. And if you love the show, I would really appreciate a rating on iTunes and for you to share this with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next show and keep on rocking.